This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hey everybody, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett and welcome back to another episode of Tennessee Talks. It just keeps getting better, folks. Today I'm joined by my friend Ashley Capps. In the late 1980s, Ashley opened a club in the old city of Knoxville called Ella Gurus. I know the good old boys call it Ella Gurus, but it's Ella Gurus, correct? Whatever worked, yes, yeah, Ella Gurus. Whatever, whatever signs a check, <laughs> I guess. And y'all have people like the Neville Brothers and Lyle Lovett and I think Garth Brooks, maybe one twice. Twice. Garth, okay. Garth played twice, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can remember, um, I think Jerry Jeff Walker might have played there once. And can... Oh, several times, actually. Yeah. 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 Jer Jerry Jeff Walker came through, uh, you know, regularly, I think. During... I mean, we were only open for two and a half years, but uh, during that time, he was certainly a, a staple. Yeah. My brother was a big Jerry Jeff. He just <laughs> passed away just recently, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, it was... And you, um, he, you're one of the lar country's largest independent promoters, and you played a large part in the success of Knoxville's two historic downtown theaters. I remember it. I was uh, in the legislature and helped carry the legislation to get it into the tax situation. That's for another right. story. But uh, <laughs> in 2002, you launched Bonnaroo, and that's a huge multi-day festival, and it takes place in Coffee County, Tennessee. It's attended by music lovers from around, it says in my notes around the country, but it's really around the world. Around the world, It's yes. a worldwide event. I was, I think all, all 50 states, and I don't recall how many countries people yeah, it was uh, just, attend Bonnaroo from. It, but it was, uh, an, as they say, ginormous, <laughs> as my daughter would say. In 2019, you received the Tennessee Governor's Arts Award with state's highest honor in arts and music, and that was cool. And it's good to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Well, um, I'll get right into some questions. And like I say, <laughs> you just you just wheel, rail on them if you need to. Uh, tell our listeners and watchers what it was like when you first opened up Ella Garoo's. I know you probably was like most places like that. It's, it's on a shoestring probably. And, um, and you know, what led, <laughs> and how did it lead you to start AC Entertainment? Yeah, that's a... Uh, <laughs> That's kind of a complicated story, but uh, I had started promoting concerts when I was still in, in school at UT back in the late 1970s, but mostly as a hobby. I, I had I'd really promoted concerts at the Bijou in the Tennessee. And you grew and up here other, in Knoxville. I did. I'm yeah. from Fountain City. Right. So, um, you know, in, in the 80s, I started doing some shows at the Bijou, which had just reopened. Um, the uh, the Tennessee Theater, which Jim Dick had just saved from the wrecking ball. Yep. And um, God bless him. And and but it was for fun, you know. I I, I was a fan. I, I had this opportunity because of my radio show on WUOT, and artists were calling. They were looking for a place to play. So uh, I, you know, you know, out of both ignorance and fearlessness, I guess, I just started promoting concerts. Yeah. Um, and then in Sometime around 1987, I was approached by my friend Peter Calandrusio, who saw the potential of this area of town that he had dubbed the Old City. Uh, at the time, there was very little going on in the Old City, except Annie Delisle, Cormac McCarthy's ex-wife, yep. had opened Annie's, and then uh, Frank Snowden had opened Manhattan's. Uh, but uh, there wasn't a lot of activity in the Old City at the time. It was mostly warehouses and uh, Many of them abandoned, actually. But Peter had this vision, and part of his vision that was that we would open this club in the basement of the building there on the corner of Jackson and Central, which is now the melting pot. Right. And, uh, and that was Ella Garoo's. And we, we opened in June of 1988. 
And for about two and a half years, uh, an amazing array of artists came through, uh, you know, from Nancy Griffith and Emmy Lou Harris and Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt and Jerry Jeff Walker and Garth Brooks, but also great jazz artists like, um, you know, Tony Williams, and Jay McShann, John McLaughlin played there, and then um, um, there were all, all sorts of reggae bands and African artists and, uh, you know, music of all kinds. And so it was, uh, I, I look at that as my, my full immersion, uh, kind of graduate school into the world of promoting concerts. Definitely a master's degree, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least. <laughs> at least. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was difficult. I mean, it was a very small room. It was a very unique time in the music industry. Um, it, it would be very hard to replicate this uh, in the current environment with, uh, you know, just simply the sheer expense of touring. But um, but in 88, 99, uh, 90, there, there was a lot of options. I mean, Leon Russell came and played three nights in a row, uh, you know, kind of a comeback after he had been on hiatus for a while. John Prine came in, you know, I, you know John Prine came in, played two or three nights in a row, you know, 20 years later, we're paying John Prine, you know, 20 times yeah. or more what he what he was being paid for the, for those gigs. So so the world changed dramatically. But Knoxville was kind of in an interesting crossroads at the time too. It was the heyday of Whittle Communications. There were a lot of uh, interesting people who had moved to town to work for Whittle. Um, it, it was it was kind of a a brief renaissance in the yeah. history of downtown, which had gone downhill. Uh, we're, in like Whittle, a, we're in the Whittle former Whittle Communications. Exactly, right, right now, now. My, my office. Exactly. So, so it was a it was a unique time, and, um, and unfortunately, you know, didn't last. I think it, you know it was a two hundred and twenty seat club legally, and uh, you know for a brief time, once we realized it wasn't going to work, I I should mention the eighteen point two five percent amusement tax on tickets, which was uh, kind of a crippling effect at that Very particular so. time too, and then uh, we moved briefly to the world. Fair Park, and then we had to hang it up on, uh, well, one week before Christmas, uh, December the 18th. Um, and I really didn't have a, a backup plan. I had uh, really put my heart and soul into keeping that club alive uh, under almost all circumstances. But um, almost miraculously, like less than two weeks later, uh, an agent that I worked with who was Wynton Marsalis's agent at the time called me up. He was like, Wynton needs a gig. I'm like, I'm broke, I can't do anything, I'm, uh, the club's closed, and he's like, Wynton needs a gig, find him a place to play, don't worry about the money, and so um, we, we booked Wynton Marsalis to play at the UT Music Hall, he sold out, and AC Entertainment was born. Wow. I should note that Widespread Panic was right on the heels of Wynton Marsalis, so uh, yeah. Widespread came in a couple of weeks after that. And Whereas we called him in college, The Panic. Yes, indeed. And I they, they could, they could uh, instill some panic at times. <laughs> I'd say so. And I meant to tell you, uh, Denise Lambert, who's, who works with me uh, in my Maribel office, she grew up in Fountain City, and um, she's, a, I think you have a, a, maybe an older brother or sister she was friends with. Huh? Right, actually my younger brother. Younger 
brother. Okay, yes. that's right. Yes. I, I'm sorry to say, yeah, Denise was much younger than you, I guess I should say, for the record. Um, but, uh, you know, I Almost know everyone is these yeah, days, well, it seems. You so. and me both, brother, except when you're in Congress, you know. <laughs> I'm still, hey, boy, you know, yeah, I'm a young, that, young that, kid that, down there. That can keep you feeling young, I yeah, imagine, so I that's good. And depressed. But um, I know you're into, big into Americana, and um, what about that genre, in your opinion, makes it so popular to people? Well, you know, it, it's an interesting... And how do you define Americana? Well, that's that's, that, that, that's, that's where I was going to go with this, yeah. because uh, it's an interesting genre, because it really encompasses so much. And uh, to me, the beautiful thing about it is that, that it, you know, it's so deep and broad in just embracing all the different strains of American music. And, you know, I'm a hardcore music fan. I, I, I love all sorts of different kinds of music. And one of the things that I came to appreciate about the South and growing up in Knoxville is how, you know, there's this, this this kind of trail that it came from the Caribbean, went to New Orleans, came up the Mississippi River, took root in Memphis, came over to Nashville, went up to Chicago, but also, you know, over to Bristol and the mountains of North Carolina. Yep. And that's actually the birthplace of contemporary popular music worldwide. Really? It, it really is. I mean, the, if you look at the roots of, of what's going on in the world of music, so much of it is rooted in what came out of New Orleans, Memphis, and of of course, you know the Bristol sessions with the Carter family. Yep. So, so the you know it, it's really the birthplace of modern music in so many ways, and certainly the the melting pot that uh, brought all these kinds of music together. So, to me, I, I think a lot of people think of Americana as. Um, you know, a, a strain of country music, uh, you know, like uh, kind of a folk country music. Uh, I don't know what country music country. is anymore, to tell I, the truth. I don't think you know? anyone does because because it keeps changing. That's the most exciting thing about music is it always changes. Yeah. It's continually being reinvented. There's new stars emerging, you know, daily, and uh, everybody's got their own take. So to me, Americana is gospel, jazz, blues, country, folk, it's, it's the whole melting pot that's come together to make American music, hence its name. So not just Leonard Skinner, you're telling me? Leonard Skinner's Americana. They yeah. definitely are. Yeah. Jackson. <laughs> they definitely are, although I'm not sure that they would have embraced the genre, but uh, no, you no, know. <laughs> no, I don't think so, unless there was a, a bar the, fight involved in it. But they, they were definitely rooted in uh, in you know, so many different kinds of music. So. Yeah. Um, you mentioned two theaters in Knoxville, Tennessee Theater, of course Bijou that you were yeah. Passionate about and um, and you you gave Mr. Dick a lot of credit, but I'm if you didn't have the, we didn't have the the folks to fill it and you put those people there, I I, I dare say that the Bijou would still probably be showing uh, B grade porn, which it did <laughs> if you remember back in the. Um, for the record, I, I think that was I, the 70s, right? 70s, was it that's the 60s? Too? I don't remember. In the 60s and maybe the 70s, and um, you know, and they'd have been torn down like a lot of the places were. But it was, um, and I, I think that's what's cool about Knoxville. I mean, you and I don't agree probably on anything politically, but <laughs> but saving people like you and me got together and, and we worked together on, uh, especially the Tennessee. And I was involved in the legislature at the time. I remembered. Um, uh, I was walking on the house floor, and I, I pray a lot, but I was, um, we'd walked on the floor, and, um, and Bruce Hartman was involved in the Oh, yeah. Tennessee. He, I think Bruce, he had it Bruce up. was instrumental in the, yeah. in the whole fundraising campaign that yeah. led to the renovation and, of the um, theater. And the accountant, 
who was who helped us write the bill was Senator Ashley. Um, I was sort of spearheading it, and, and I was walking on the floor, and, and the and the clerk grabbed me and said, "Hey, we got a you got a call, Senator." And I go, "What?" <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, somebody's pulling my leg, and I said, and it was. Um, he said, uh, he said, Tim, we got a problem. I said, well, what is it? He goes, uh, this thing's written wrong. And I go, what? He said, their words are written, written wrong so that it, um, it, it doesn't, it won't help us. It won't do anything. It'll hurt us tax-wise. And I said, he said, well, you got to change it. And I said, well, the committee's already closed for the year, and your and finance committee never opened back up, no matter what. I mean, it was just it was written in stone, and I and I thought, oh no, and I I, I, I thought, Lord, what the heck do I do? So I was praying about it, and I said, well, and Ben walked in, Ben actually, and I said, hey, we got a problem with this thing, and he said, he said they just called me and said, he goes, uh oh, and so I went up and I and Governor Wilder owed, owed me a solid. From back in the day, and uh, and I mentioned to him we had a little problem, and they said, "What bill is it?" He said, "It's the first bill," and I said to Joe Haynes, who was a buddy of mine, Democrat, and I told him what was going on, and and and, uh, and so he said, first bill, let's move it quick." And so, boom, we put it on the floor. I amended it, and we said, and, and he's, somebody said, this makes no substantial change. We're good with it or something, you know, and then it went through. What a great and story. It, 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 you know, but it was highly irregular, and I said, I said in my brain, to man. the success yeah. of the theater. Yes, it was. But anyway, and I, and I want to thank you for that. But, um, but you were you were the man that back you the man so I would appreciate it and I know Big Ears is coming up in a couple of weeks and I I'd like you to tell us a little about the uh, lineup and what you expect but I always remember Big Ears first time I when I was running for mayor had a group of people that were helping me it was a day a door to door day and it was on a Saturday and it was and Big Ears was going on big time but I always remembered that. The vast majority of the people are not from this area. I mean, it's out-of-town people. And because a guy said, oh, we need to get down to Big Ears. There's a lot of people down there. And I said, dude, you go down to Big Ears. I said, but I got to get to the, I got to get out in, in the end of the boaters. I said, that's a lot of out-of-town people. I mean, because people don't realize the impact that that, and talk a little bit about that, because it is, a, it's, a, it's a national or maybe international, I guess, that you hear about it. Well, you know, it, it's certainly smaller, but in a way it, it echoes Bonnaroo because uh, people tend to come from all 50 states. Uh, in, right to Knoxville. In 2019, we had people from 25 foreign countries. It was a little less when we came back after COVID in 2022, but uh, there were still 14 or 15 people, uh, foreign countries represented. And it's true that 72% uh, of the audience comes from out of Knoxville. Uh, that's actually not very unusual for any city festival, uh, right. any uh, majorly successful one. I mean, 90, for a long time, 95% of the Bonnaroo audience came from outside of Tennessee. And uh, we, we've seen that, those numbers reflected in different kinds of festivals in Louisville, in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, in Chattanooga. It, it, uh, you know, I, I think there's a certain... Um, there's a certain mindset when you're in your hometown. It's really hard to go do the same thing three days in a row. You've got obligations, you've got kids to take care of, you're not on vacation, you haven't gone through the process of, of taking a few days and putting them on hold so you can absorb this experience. So Knoxvillians tend to come and go for one day of the festival, uh, maybe two. Right. Uh, there, there are definitely some hardcore music fans that, that embrace it, but uh, that's the reason for the demographics and, uh, you know, it's just a, 
No, when people come, they, they tend to come for, it's a vacation. It's a vacation yeah. weekend. What kind of lineup you having this year? Well, this year, you know, as always, we have, uh, you know, people representing all different genres of music. So we have uh, Bela Fleck, you know, who some people regard as the foremost exponent of the banjo today. Bela's um, coming back with his My Bluegrass Heart program, which is an all-star band. Uh, we have this really incredible young up-and-coming singer from uh, West, West uh, Virginia, Sierra Farrell, who also, I mean, she's an amazing country singer, but she also... Um, she brings in a lot of different kinds of influences. She sold out the Bijou the last time yep. she was here and just blew people away. And she's headed to be a major star. I saw this set she did on the Grand Ole Opry the other night that was uh, incredible. Uh, Sierra Hull, another Sierra. We got two Sierras this year, and Sierra's like you know a child prodigy on the mandolin, uh, who's uh, doing incredible things. And then we've the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra is premiering uh, three different, well, premiering one work. And, and performing two other works in two separate programs. So um, Bill Frizzell's, uh, the great jazz guitarist, is doing a program with them on Thursday night that's a North American premiere. And then um, we're reprising a piece that they commissioned called uh, The Cycle of Life that's a tribute to Richard Jolly's sculpture at the Knoxville Museum of Art that features the violinist Tessa Lark, who's, Big fan of who's amazing. Work. Yeah, Richard, Richard's local, amazing. Local talent, and it's, it is worldwide, and it's really cool. Indeed, and, and and the piece that was commissioned to kind of celebrate that work is, is really a very special one. It features this young violinist, Tessa Lark, who also you know straddles the world between classical and bluegrass. Uh, she's from Kentucky, uh, amazing performer, and uh, and then the, they're playing this beautiful piece called the Blue Hour that was composed. It's a song cycle composed by five of the foremost uh, female composers uh, working today, and so we're we're really excited about that. Uh, there's some great rock music. Uh, Lucius, whose new record was just produced by uh, Brandy Carlisle's kind of a, a disco pop band, and then we've got this. Uh, a uh, band from, uh, actually they're from France now, but the two uh, Franco-Cuban sisters, twins, called Ibei, and uh, you know, they, they mix uh, Afro-Cuban traditions with hip-hop and, you know, kind of a electronic dance groove and stuff like that. They're kind of amazing. Uh, what else? I'm, I'm overlooking so many things. Pino Palladino, right. who's the um, amazing uh, bass player for The Who, and also uh, with D'Angelo, who's like one of the most in-demand musicians in the world at in his early 60s he finally released his own record. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, know, you don't want to rush it. It's an amazing record, and, and you know because he and his compatriots are so busy, it's rarely heard live. So Pino, with uh, the producer Blake Mills and a couple of other uh, incredible young musicians, are coming to perform. Um, I could go on and it's on. It's amazing we, the old the old play. You know, I'm friends with Steve Cropper over in Nashville. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, sitting on the dock in the bay and playing oh, yeah. Steve. Steve. Steve, talking about a Tennessee music legend, man. I, I brought him down on the Senate floor when I was there. We surprised him, and he, and he, and he, um, he said, God, I wish I had my guitar with me. I'd play y'all a couple songs. And we, we his wife, Angel, had, had brought in his um, guitar, and then he said, I ain't got an amp. And we had an old tube type, and we brought it in and put it up right on the thing. And he played um, sitting on the dock of the bay. Um, uh, let's see, what did he play? Um, um, uh, Soul Man and... 
and something else. I can't remember now. Wow. It was it was just magic. I mean, you know, people just stopped. I, you know, I was. I, I know this is about you, but I, and I don't <laughs> no, want to talk great. too much about Steve. But I was in a, I was at a, a thing. He was playing in in Nashville, and he um, was a young guy who, who I can't even remember who he was playing with. I, I don't know what even happened to him, but it was. Um, it was a big crowd to see this guy, and they said, "Hey, we got a and every, you know, and, and all the music people there, you know how they are. They're kind of like, you know, eh, whatever, you know." And they were all talking, and then they said, um, "And and backing him up is uh, Steve Cropper," and everybody just stopped, and they're like, "What in the world?" <laughs> and, and a buddy of mine was like, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, I'm friends with Steve Cropper's, and uh, Steve Cropper's a buddy of mine." He goes, "You know Steve Cropper?" He said, "I really love to meet him." And you know, and Steve was just pretty cool, you know. And I mean, he's just He's really a decent guy. He came to, I had a, heck, I had a fundraiser in Nashville and he came to it. And I'm um, just, uh, just, is he to still hang playing out. a lot? He, a little bit. You know, yeah. he's, um, he's, gosh, he's upper 70s. I did a podcast with Steve, as a matter of fact, you can well, look at you're, it on you're, YouTube. You're, you're, he talks about him and, um, uh, he talks about Otis, and, but he talks about, um, golly, um, um, shoot, he was, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, Black fella who was um, who was on a bald headed shaft. Um, um, Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes. He talks about how Isaac got his start and how oh, yeah. they brought him in. And, and I mean, it was just it stacks records. And and um, I helped in the um, in the legislature with some stuff with stacks records. Right. Well, they've got this fun. incredible museum now, you know, yeah. and deservedly so because was, yeah, was, talking, talking about a melting pot of American music is right there in the heart of Memphis. Right you know? there in Memphis, and people <laughs> and a lot of folks never even know even know it exists. But I was. Uh, yeah, we were instrumental in getting them a little bit of funding for that. Now we had to kind of help shepherd that. Well, you're reminding me that one of my <laughs> one of my unrealized goals, and I've got to ask him for next year, is to get Booker T. Jones here. Well, that would be amazing if uh, Booker T. Could, and if yeah. Steve could come with him. You know. Yeah. Well, they, uh, <laughs> I bet he could. Uh, he just his um, my old landlord in Nashville. Um, I slept on his futon for. Eight years. He, him, and Steve. Every time I go to Nashville, they say, "Come with us. We're going to go get barbecue." And um, I think maybe Billy Gibbons from is it Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Yep. He goes. They go. They drive over and get this old hole in the wall <laughs> barbecue place. Could you yeah. imagine walking in and seeing Steve Cropper and Gibbons and the sun just <laughs> hanging out? But anyway, I'm sure you see that stuff all the time. Talk a little bit about Bonnaroo. I, I'm, we're going to run out of time, but I, I didn't want to keep you all day. But I can talk all day about this stuff. Um, did you, could you ever imagine that it turned into what it just the enormous impact that it had and uh, and a little bit about the um, the Bonnaroo Works Fund that supports some nonprofit organizations? Well, sure. Well, I mean, Bonnaroo was a major undertaking, and, and I, I think we wouldn't have done it if we didn't think that, that there was a, a, a good, solid idea there. But certainly the response to it out of the gate took everyone by surprise. It was really overwhelming. We sold out the first year. Uh, you know, we, we actually sold, with zero advertising, we sold 60,000 tickets in 12 days and had to wow. stop ticket sales because we hadn't finalized our site plan yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're like, how many tickets can we sell? We didn't know, you know. Uh, we, we had to plot out all the campsites and, uh, you yeah. know, figure out how much room we had. And then we went back and sold 10,000 more. So that first year we sold 70,000 tickets Jeez. and literally did not spend one cent on advertising. It was totally word of mouth. And it's hard to remember that now because festivals are everywhere. But um, the idea of doing a festival back then, people thought, 
we were insane. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was like you a lose crazy shirt, idea. Man. You're going to lose your shirt. People are going to get hurt. You're never going to be able to come back to that community and ever do anything again because so many people are going to be so angry. Yeah. And so um, it was going good till some people <laughs> in Nashville, I remember, tried to. Well, there, on some crazy tax, and we, we were able to curtail <laughs> that. I yeah, believe. you know, there, there there's always a dynamic at work there, but uh, no, the from the very beginning, it just had this extraordinary impact, and, and it, it it was an amazing wave to ride, um, and which which I did up through 2019. Right, that was the last festival that I was at when I when I was involved in producing the festival, and now. Um, uh, you know, in 2020, of course, everything was canceled, and in 2021, I, I left both AC Entertainment as well as Live Nation and Bonnaroo, and uh, focused uh, exclusively on big ears. But um, the, um, the Bonnaroo Works Fund was something that was really rooted in the very first year of Bonnaroo. Uh, you know, what started it was somehow we became aware of the fact that the marching band in Coffee County at Coffee County High School hadn't had new uniforms in 30 years wow. and the uniforms were literally those falling are good, off. Those are some good country folks over there. They're, they really are. They are. They are. And, and and we wanted to do something for the community and, and we recognized very quickly that, you know, like any good relationship, there, there has to be give and take and we wanted the festival to have a positive impact in men. Chester, Tennessee, and in Coffee County, and so the Bonnaroo Works Fund was ultimately created to help uh, support various right. activities. Did they get their new much, uniforms? Much of it education. We did. We did the new uniforms the first year. That okay. was that was one of the you know and and. You know, it was, it was a very touching thing, and uh, you know, we became very inspired by ourselves by you know how we could do good in that community, and that's uh, that's how we created the fund. Well, that's cool, and I'm glad you you started off local because <laughs> those folks are there. I know a lot of those folks over there and they are some excellent people and I'm, I'm I, absolutely I, and and you know the the community uh, you know it, it's a very it's a group effort you know we all have to work together it's a, it's an amazingly disruptive event that oh. uh, you know without having everybody working uh, when I was you know, in the legislature partnership when I was in the legislature state troopers would <laughs> tell us and say if you're going that way don't go the other way if you're going home, so well, I, I, you know, the Tennessee Highway Patrol, everybody's, you know, became our partner and yeah. very supportive, and it, it was it was a really moving and very profound experience for me to work together with the community and so many different aspects of the community in pulling off, uh, you know, such a such a wild and woolly event, you know, uh, I mean, it's a, it's the Woodstock of our times, except it was profitable and, and it was asked back the next year. So uh, yeah, that, that was, As you know, the you Woodstock know, story, they didn't make any money to years later after, uh, yeah, like from the film, and, or yeah, something, the film, but, yeah, uh, like yeah it, it's, it's flabbergasting to me that it, the, you know, it's last till the present day that we had a 19 year run that Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney and Metallica and all of these bands came to play it, um, you know, I, I, I could never have really predicted Tell that. me about McCartney real quick. I, my landlord, okay. <laughs> he, he worked for McCartney, and he said he was, he was probably one of the most decent people that he had actually worked with. That was certainly my experience. I mean, yeah. he was— uh, he, he said that they, something had happened with the, with the payment, 
in McCart and in some and Brian, my landlord, he said, you know, he mentioned the McCartney because he was one of the, the, the top. He was a, a rigger, but he was the stage guy, and um, and McCartney called everybody after the show over and he had envelopes for everybody, $100, and this was in the 70s, $100 bills for everybody just to take care of them till they, till they got it all worked out. Another. You know, I'll have to say a class act on every sense of the word. And you know, the thing that really blew my mind at the Bonnaroo show is that he rehearsed the entire show the really? night before. We, we basically got a private concert. You got, you got to see it twice. We, we, I mean, he is so dedicated to, to his craft and, yeah. and his work that, uh, yeah, I mean, they were out there for hours making sure that they were going to be able to deliver the greatest show that they possibly yeah. could. My first 45. They was, certainly did. I want to hold your hand. I know we're going to run out of time, but um, real quick, do you have any questions you want to ask me, brother? Can you get me Taylor Swift tickets? Possibly. <laughs> I met her one time. Her mom was like a hawk. Awesome. Uh, I was uh, in the state legislature and she was down there. But anyway, I think we're going to run out of time here. Hey, um, everybody, I'm Congressman Tim Burch, and thank you all for listening and watching another episode of Tennessee Talks. Thank you all for sending me here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following Rep. Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.